John chapter 4. Do I have my mic on? Probably not. That's, that's Jason's job to let me know, and he didn't do it. I'm going to cut his salary, too. John 4. By the way, thank you for coming out tonight. We're so appreciative. Verse 20 through 26. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship what ye know not. I'm sorry, ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when He is come, He will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak to thee am he. Can you imagine that? I know Messiah is coming. Jesus said, you don't have to wait anymore. I'm here now. We're looking tonight again, what we began last week, a biblical overview, our overview of biblical worship. Very familiar story. We covered it in Sunday school last Sunday morning. What a great story. Christ is on the way to Galilee and he goes to Samaria. They wouldn't normally do that, and he would, but because of the racism and hatred between both groups. The Orthodox Jew would go around the Jordan River, take the long route around, rather than going through Samaria. When she first sees Jesus, she recognized him as a Jewish man. And she was surprised that he would talk to her. By the time we get to verse 19, notice her perception she said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So her perception is changing. And that being said, in verse 19, verse 20 is kind of the unspoken question. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye, you Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place 
where men ought to worship. And so she says to Jesus, my ancestors worshipped here at Mount Gerizim. And yet you Jews say the place of worship is Jerusalem. So if he's a prophet, as she perceived, her question is, which group is right? Are we right or are you right? And again, the Samaritans set a place of a Mount Gerizim. And they use the Old Testament where the mountain of blessing, if you will. You can read that in Deuteronomy 11. But the Jews followed David in making Jerusalem the center of worship. So who's right, she asked. Now, in spite of what you've heard, everybody can't be right if they're opposing opinions. Isn't that true? In an opposing opinion, one has to be wrong. Now, the split came about in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. You remember the story. Uh, They go back to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple, first of all. And the Samaritans said, we want to help you. And, of course, they were told no. That didn't help matters. And so the debate was ongoing. Which group is correct? How many know that your opinion doesn't matter? And if I were sitting there, I'd say my opinion doesn't matter either. But what matters is what God's Word says. And we can, I can use several verses, and I'm just going to take one. But the Bible is clear that Jerusalem was the place for they to worship. Second Chronicles 7.12 And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. So the bottom line is this. The Jews were right, Samaritans were wrong. And so the Samaritan woman wanted to know, wanted to hear what this Jewish prophet had to say about it. May I say tonight, even in the Old Testament, even though God had designated Jerusalem as a place, and it was, of worship. Worship is never a matter of the place, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. So in verse 21 and then verse 23, Jesus offers a new realm of worship. Look what he says. Verse 21. Jesus saith unto her, woman. Believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Why? For the Father seeks such to worship Him. 
So both the Jews and Samaritans were convinced the correct way to worship God depended on a particular geographical location. And now Jesus says, let me show you a new realm. Not in Mount Gerizim, not in Jerusalem, but true worship is in the Spirit of God. In the Spirit of God. Now, by the way, and I know you know this answer, what did Jesus know? Everything. When did he know it? Forever. Now, he also knew at this time that in about 30 years, the temple in Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And by the way, I mentioned this morning, we were in the book of John, feeding of the 5,000. And John was the last gospel writer. And he wrote his gospel probably around A.D. 85 or 90. So put your thinking cap on for a moment. The temple was destroyed in A.D. 60. By the time the people would read this epistle, they would know their geographical place of worship had been destroyed. Jesus said, the hour is coming, and now is. And he says to this woman, the new worship is now. It is now among Jesus' followers. And it's not just among the Jews, it's also among the Samaritans. Because in Christ, all are united. Now, again, when Jesus spoke this to the woman at the well, the end of worship in the temple or Mount Grism was still future. But Jesus said the day is now and it's coming. It is coming. So he announces the fact that a new time had come. A new time had come, a time in which those who were true worshipers would worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now, our series is on worship, and we're just giving an overview. And I think I mentioned last week, if you counted the word worship or worshipers in, these te- in our text, and that about ten times that word is used, making, making significance there. But I want you to know, first of all, that true worshipers are recognized by the way they worship, not where they worship. And so what Jesus did, to the, speaking to the woman there and to all of us, he made the place of worship secondary to our spiritual relationship with God. And then he defined real worship. 
And according to Jesus, and I think he's right, amen, according to Jesus, worship is going to take place on two new aspects. It would be in the spirit, and it would be in truth. Most scholars believe and agree that in spirit refers to our human spirits. The immaterial, the inner being in each person. The God-breathed entity that corresponds to the nature of God himself, who is spirit. Isn't it interesting that Paul would write later on that our spirit bears witness with his spirit, that we are the children of God. And here Jesus said it will be in spirit. Now remember, Jesus had told her earlier in this conversation, we looked at it last Sunday morning, if you only knew who it was, if you only knew who I am that's asking you for a drink of water, he said, I'd give you water where you'll never thirst again. And so when I think about what Jesus says here, about worshiping in the Spirit. And I, I believe without a doubt it, it involves our awareness of that personal spring of water that God has planted in our lives. And my friend, that can only happen by being born again. God indwells all believers. And that is where true worship takes place. Now, by the way, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I love coming to church. I love it. And I love coming to church to worship. And please don't be offended. I don't care what you do. I'm going to worship. I'm not looking around to see what you're doing. All I'm concerned about is my inner response to God. Worshiping God in spirit. So God indwells us, and that's where true worship takes place. And our body can be anywhere. But worship occurs as our attention and praise is turned toward God. And we talk about worship all the time. And we say we go to church to worship, and sometimes we do. But worship is not automatic. So when we're in the house of God, the house of worship, we need to consciously focus on God. He spoke, it is about Him. And the danger comes when we automatically assume that our presence in the house of worship is all we need. Just show up. I'm going to meddle just for a moment. Most of the time, 
we can usually remember how long the service lasted. But can we remember exactly when we actually worshipped the Lord? Spirit and the truth. So the spirits are inner being, our soul, the image created after God. And then he said, we're to worship in truth. And that means in a true way. Or to worship with genuineness. And by the way, that applies to everyone. Jew, Samaritan, even Gentiles. Everyone needs to worship God by recognizing God's character and nature and also recognize that we have a common need for God. Lord, I need you. And we worship in truth because we worship what is true. If we are not worshiping a spirit, our worship becomes dry and lifeless. If we don't worship in truth, our worship becomes deceitful and irreverent. In spirit reminds us who we are worshiping. Truth exposes the required genuineness of those who are doing the worship. And may I say tonight, I'm going to anyway, God knows the difference. He really does. So if we're going to sum up what Jesus says in a paraphrase, he's saying that true worshipers worship truthfully. Now remember, he told the woman, well, you don't know who you worship. We do know. We know what we worship. (laughs) Poor Jesus, he never took the Carnegie class, how to win friends and influence people. He wasn't afraid of telling her she was wrong, that they were wrong. So true worshipers worship truthfully. That's what Jesus says. But by contrast, fleshly worship, false worship, is pretending to be something or someone we are not. It involves, at times, showing a prejudice, a, prejudice, a prejudice against others who are also made in the image of God. Sometimes it's fleshly worship. We become self-righteous. Look who I am. Look what I'm doing. And the sad thing is, in that kind of worship, we deny our need Our constant need for God's mercy is grace. And we worship in ignorance without knowing the reality for ourselves. It must be in spirit and in truth. And my friend, true worship cannot be done blindly. And it should not be out of habit with no heartfelt devotion. Worship is a matter of the heart. 
the issue of worship has been since Adam and Eve in the garden. They fell from, from grace because they worshiped themselves more than they did God. I mentioned last week the actual word worship is used 108 times in the King James. Worship is used 70 times. And uh, I Googled it this past week in a, a website called Knowing Jesus. And according to their statistics, there are over 500 instances of worship in the Scriptures. Over 500. So the Bible stresses the importance of regular worship. But also understand, and I'm almost sure as I'm preaching to you tonight, those that are here, and many that would not be here, you know what spontaneous worship is all about. It's great to come together. Now, we ought, we ought to, the Bible says to come together. And there's nothing quite like corporate worship. And again, that's why I don't understand why folks will stay home when they have no good reason not to be at church. But also, there's something to be said about spontaneous worship. Now, by the way, I think worship at church ought to be spontaneous. Isn't that true? Worshiping God spontaneous. Well, there are many examples of regular worship in the Scripture. One is on a daily basis. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So we can worship God on a daily basis. It's also biblical. We can worship God several times a day. Every day of the week. Daniel 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in the chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did a four time. Several times a day. They also worship on holy days, Ezekiel 46 verse 3. Likewise, the people of the land shall worship at the door of this gate before the Lord and the Sabbath and the new moons. They also worshiped at the three annual pilgrim festivals. Deuteronomy 16, verse 16. Three times a year shall all the males appear before the Lord thy God. In the place which he shall choose, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall, uh, they, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. So they worshiped during Passover, Luke 2.41. Talking about Jesus, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Now there are other verses that talk about going to that. Also, uh, the feast of Pentecost or the feast of weeks. Acts 2.1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now don't, don't misunderstand there, okay? It's not the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came that day. It was already the day of Pentecost. They were gathered for worship. 
And while they were there on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God had to fall. The Feast of Tabernacles, Exodus 23:16, and the Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the Feast of Ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. The Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16:34, and this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once. A year. And by the way, if you read the details of all of these required festivals, on those days, they were not allowed to do any regular work. The focus was to be on the Lord. On the Sabbath day, Luke 4.16, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was... He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. By the way, thank you for making coming to church a custom for you. Amen? Now, our family finally learned after a few years. And you know, I have no doubt in my mind, their, their mindset was when Pam and I first got saved, it won't last long, it'll wear off. It didn't wear off, it wore on. And before long, they began to realize there's something different there. And I, I thank the Lord any time they could. Any family gathering, they tried to make it around where we could be there. Knowing that on Sunday, on Wednesday night, unless we we're hindered by some we can't help, we were going to be in the Lord's house. It has become our custom. I have a nephew that came into town Friday, and uh, I don't particularly like group text, but I've been on a group text since that time, and uh, one of my brothers said, we need to get together, uh, our nephew wants to see everybody, blah, 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 uh, maybe we can meet somewhere at a restaurant uh, and get Roland to pay for it, <laughs> and somebody suggested Wednesday night. My brother's text back said, we can't do it Wednesday. Rollin won't be there, and we want him to pay for it. So, again, they know, and, and again, all in fun, but well, maybe not. But anyway, it was their, it was the custom of Christ as well. But there are also some examples of spontaneous worship. Uh, most of those we read before are kind of required of the Jews, or any Orthodox Jew. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, in response to an awareness of the closeness of God. Judges 7.15 And it was so, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped. For those who know the story, Gideon was a little bit skeptical. He's the one that put out a fleece. And by the way, don't use his example. That's not biblical. If God's word says do something, guess what? Do it. And God told him at least twice to do it. But anyway, two of his soldiers went down or had a dream that barley loaves had fallen in the camp of the enemy and destroyed them. 
And when Gideon heard that dream, and when he heard the interpretation of it, he sensed the closeness of God. And my friend, right there, and by the way, when they worshipped, they fell on the ground. Gideon fell down, and he worshipped the Lord. How could he do that? There wasn't no hymns to sing. Wasn't any special music. You know why he did it? He sensed a closeness to God. An awareness of that. We can also find it in response as we experience God's mercy. Exodus 4.31 And the people believed And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he looked upon their affliction, notice this, then they bowed their heads and they worshipped. Now think about this. As the children of Israel reflected, reflected on how God had visited them. He'd come into their place. How that God in his mercy looked and saw their affliction in Egypt. The Bible says that they considered that. When they heard that, they became exceptionally aware of God's mercy and they bowed their heads and worshipped. Worship can happen in response to the presence and the power of Christ. Matthew 28, 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and they worshiped. How many know when Jesus shows up, we ought to worship him? But also, worship should not depend on our circumstances. Matthew, I'm sorry, Acts 16.25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. And they sang praises to God. And the prisoners heard them. You know the story. Not the best of circumstances. Nobody there to pump them up. Again, no hymns, no songs. Well, yeah, they were singing themselves there. But it didn't depend on their circumstances. They worshipped God. Now, by the way, I think you'll agree, I believe they did it in spirit and truth. Don't you? It was genuine. Now, by the way, if you don't like worship down here, you won't like heaven. You won't like heaven. Because in heaven, we will continuously worship God. Revelation 7 and 11. There are other examples we could use. The Bible says all the angels stood round about the throne. And about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, 
and worshiped God. So we talk about worship. I mentioned that last week. We certainly want to worship. So our goal, I hope, in this series is to help to hopefully find out what is biblical worship and what is not. Now, I'll tell you early on, what's going on in a lot of churches today is not biblical worship. And God is not pleased. And again, I appreciate the hymns. Love it. Love the special music. And they are important, I think, to sometimes help us to get in the frame of mind for worship as we think about what God has done. And, and, and by the way, I, I appreciate the hymns that we sing because I hope that when we sing them that you are really focusing on the words. You know, what is that verse, that hymn saying to us? But how many know that worship is not preaching, going to church, praying, not by themselves, they're not worship. So what is? What is? I hope we can answer that in the next few weeks. It's interesting in verse 23 of John 4. The word is not worship it, but worshiper. Now hear me. A worshiper is someone who has come to adore God. A worshiper is an adorer. We come to worship God. We recognize He is far greater than we are. We begin to get a glimpse of His majesty. And we humble ourselves before Him. And we give Him all the glory. Father, I adore you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So genuine worship is giving. And essentially it's giving honor and respect to our great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that's why you come. Every time we come to God's house, I hope you come to give God honor and glory. Now, I do confess, I I am not a big fan of pastor appreciation, but what I would hate worse if he didn't do it. Amen? That's kind of a fleshly thing, right? But I would hope that you don't come to honor me, you come to honor God. And I definitely don't want you to worship me. Don't put me on a pedestal. If you do that, I'll disappoint you. But my friend, put God where he belongs, high and lifted up. And when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, what happened to him? He realized, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean So we're not here to honor the preacher, the singers, the church. And hold on to your seat. We're not here to honor church tradition either. It's been quite a few years ago now. A church in the area 
in our conference. Called me, the deacon did, and I've known him for years. He said, Brother Luthie, we're having Pastor Appreciation Day on, I forget, what, you know, whatever day it was. And they're going through a lot of turmoil. And he said to me his own words, nobody wants to have it, but our bylaws say we have to. I went, but you talk about a hard time preaching. They didn't want to be there. And when I realized the spirit of the church, I didn't want to be there. But their tradition said we've got to do it. It's in our bylaws. So we don't come to honor any of those things. We come to humble ourselves before our great God. And give him the glory he deserves. Now I mentioned this last week and it's very important. We don't come to church to get a blessing. People do that. And they come and they sit. Sometimes they come in mad. Come on. Angry at someone. We had, a, we had a great time with Mike and Sandy today at lunch. And we found out that Mike is trying to train Sandy on how to do part of his paperwork. Because there's a lot of paperwork. And Sandy said, boy, your sermon hit home this morning about anger. And I told him, I'm coming tomorrow. I want a front side, I want a front row seat and popcorn. I think it's quite a show going on there right now. Uh, you can know what it's like, husband and wife trying to train one or the other, you know. But anyway. <laughs> but you don't come to get a blessing. And whether we come together corporately, like we are here tonight. Whether we come together daily. Here at home. Or here at, or at home. We come to give glory and honor and respect and reverence to the Lord God Almighty. So we don't come to get a blessing, but I'll guarantee you this. If we'll do those things, we'll go home with a blessing. We'll go home and we'll say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. It has been good. we got just a few minutes left tonight. Let me hurry. I began last week, uh, and I looked up some quotes of some people, of, some preachers and theologians have said about worship. One said that worship is the overflow of a grateful heart under a sense of divine favor. Isn't that good? Worship overflows. The heart, the heart boils over and worship happens. Another one said the outpouring of a soul at rest in the presence of God. Have you been there? Another one said the occupation of the heart, not with its knees or even with his blessings, but with God himself. Wow. Another said the upspring of a heart that has known the Father as as a giver, the Son as a Savior, and the Holy Spirit as an indwelling guest. (laughs) Wow.
You see, anybody in the world, even an unbeliever, can recognize that God exists. And even recognize that God is supreme. And even recognize that He is the Creator. But not everyone has the capacity for worship. And those who are lost can never understand the reality of God. Now, he can can grasp some of the reality of God. But they can never appreciate the truths about God that can only be revealed by the Spirit of God. And that's why we must be born again. And as believers, please understand, folks, tonight... We enjoy a special relation with God. We have a living water experience with Him. John 4, 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever, do I have any whosoever here? Drinketh of this water, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I have that water. How about you? That's a, a picture of what happens when we get saved. The Spirit of God moves into our life, in our hearts. And the Spirit of God fills us with the wonder of who God is. And He flows out of us in worship and service to God. So what is worship? Now hear me well. Worship is the living water returning back to its source. Did you get that? Ecclesiastes 1.7. Solomon wrote this, All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come thither, they return again. Now I realize that in that verse, Ecclesiastes 1.7, Solomon is talking about a hydrological cycle. And you know what it is. Water comes down from the sky in the form of rain, snow or ice. And this water fills a river. And the rivers flow down to the sea. The water is evaporated by the sun, goes back into the clouds. And there's drop on earth again. Worship operates the same way. When you got saved, God gave you living water. And worship is simply the living water going back to God. And the cycle continues. The Spirit on the inside, who was sent from heaven into our hearts, bubbles up. 
and fills us with the wonder and the glory of our God. And when he does that, <coughs> when he does that, the praise in our hearts flows out and we offer to God in the form of worship. It goes back to the source. So all worship, all true worship, begins with God. It flows to and through us, and it ascends back to God. It is a divine cycle. Aren't you glad that we can worship God? Let's stand together. John MacArthur tells a story. Because the fact of the matter, everybody worships something or someone. And this is evidently an article he read in the Chicago Tribune. There was a woman from New Mexico who noticed that the skillet burns on one of her tortillas, she was frying, looked like the face of Jesus. She showed it to her husband and to her neighbors, and they agreed that the tortilla looked like a face, and it truly bore resemblance to what Jesus looked like. She took that tortilla to her priest to have it blessed, and she testified that that tortilla changed her life. Her husband agreed. She's more peaceful, more happy, more submissive since the tortilla arrived in their home. The priest, John said, was not accustomed to blessing tortillas. So he was a little bit reluctant, but he agreed to do it. She took it home, put it in a glass case with piles of cotton to make it look like it was floating in a cloud. She she built a special altar for it and opened the the little shrine to visitors. Within a few months, more than 8,000 people came. What a sad story. Jesus told the woman, well, you don't know who you worship. We know. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your precious word. I pray, Lord, tonight that as we gather in this place, at any time that we do, we come for one reason, and that's to adore you. Father, you alone are worthy of our worship. And we bow our hearts before you. I pray that you'll challenge us tonight to learn of you. And we would, we would allow the Spirit of God, that river, that well of living water within us, to boil over into worship. We love you so much, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget.